So here we are after almost a full day of practice, the first day of the retreat. And I know that often this is the most challenging day. You know, it could have been that in coming here, we get in touch with levels of sleepiness, tiredness that we just have been out of contact with because of the busyness of our lives. Or we come and we sit and the body just isn't used to sitting so many hours in a day. And there's a lot of pain and discomfort. Or we just find a lot of mental agitation, restlessness, um, irritability, aversion. Some of us might be thinking, I signed up for this. (laughs) I chose to do this. I could be in the Bahamas. (laughs) We kind of forget at this point why it is that we're here, why we chose to come here. We find that, you know, even though today we've really been working with meeting our experience in a simple way, just relaxing the presence of mind that is aware of this body, this breath, But what we find happening is all of these habits of mind come storming in. And it tends to be, too, that we sit here and we think that we are the only person struggling. But, you know, quite likely, if we were hearing what was happening on the mat next to us, (laughs) we would discover that many of us are sitting here struggling. And, of course, it can also be the honeymoon day where, you know, it's just such a great relief to be here and to have life be so simple that some of us may not be experiencing that difficulty, may have a degree of contentment in just turning up to meet this moment. But whatever it is, we have entered into meditation. And meditation is really where we pay attention. It's the work of the mind. You know, today we've actually been working with looking at the body a lot, but it's still, because it's meditation, is the workings of the mind. If it was just a physical exercise, We would be, you know, just breathing in a certain way, walking in a certain way. It would be about the walking or the breathing, but it isn't. And this is what really changes what we're doing, that this becomes a way to meet the moment, to know the moment, and out of that to understand what is happening what the nature of this body and mind is. And so even though today there's been an emphasis on the physical, this is just simply because in our experience, the body tends to be on a grosser level. It's easier to see. You know, if we were just looking at states of mind, thoughts in the mind, awareness itself, it could be that it's too slippery. 
it's too close to how we usually uh, perceive the world through ideas, concepts, and stories. But to come into a, an immediacy, an intimacy with this moment, where we've been emphasizing the doorway of the body, but awareness of the body. Being able to have a direct experience of this body. And this is really important in our lives because so many of us identify deeply with this body. It's my body. This is me. No? And what we find is that when we have that strong identification with this body, that there comes suffering. Because one, this body is always changing. You know, if when we were young, we really enjoyed having a young, healthy, energetic body, and it started to change, to grow old, to, you know, just little levels of decay <laughs> can have quite an impact. You know, if we're identified with that young, youthful body, we will suffer. If we identify with a healthy body, no, and then the body gets sick, we will suffer. We can't hold, we can't demand that the body be a certain way. No, it's out of our control. It's really made up of a whole lot of causes and conditions. It's made up of the elements. And this is constantly changing as conditions change. So when we start to turn our attention to this body, it helps to break down this solid sense of my body. And we begin to see it more in its nature. No, just look at the breath. You know, at first you think just the breath, you know, no big deal. But you start to look at it and you go, oh, you know, you begin to see that, you know, in one moment, you know, there's the in-breath. And it's, then maybe it's not just one in-breath, that we see many broken movements. Or, and, and then we see that there's an out-breath. We begin to see that it isn't always the same. Sometimes it's really smooth, fine. Other times it's really rough, jumpy. That it's always changing. We look at the sensations in the body. Now what's painful in one moment can be completely gone in another. We begin to see that, you know, it's all moving, changing. It becomes harder to say, you know, I'm the softness, I'm the tightness, I'm the throbbing. Because in the next moment, it's simply not there. So the paying attention to the body, sensations, we begin to see into the nature of our experience. We begin to see the individual characteristics of experience, where there it, we can see different sensations in the body. We begin to see the universal characteristics, where we see impermanence, 
we come close to close, or close, we come face to face with the truth of how things are continually changing and how we can't hang on to any one thing to have lasting happiness. And that it's really all just arising due to causes and conditions. So this work that we're doing here today is really important work. It really helps to break down the identification that keeps us caught in suffering. It helps us to be able to see, to touch life in a way that honors the truth of the way things are. In doing this work, mindfulness is really the key. Mindfulness, this capacity to see things as they are, without judging, without evaluating, without analyzing, without laying on a layer of concept. It's a presence of mind attentive to this moment. When mindfulness is present, there's non-reactivity. And this is what really what allows us to see things in their nature. And this takes a really radical shift, you know, a, a shift away from being outwardly engaged, whether it's through the stories, ideas, whether it's through looking for happiness outside of ourselves, or blaming others for unhappiness, and really just allowing to let be. My husband once called mindfulness that you turn to liberation. It's the master key which helps to unlock the secrets of the Dhamma, the things that we don't usually see because we are so caught up in our ideas about how things are. So we invite mindfulness by simply recognizing what's happening in our experience. I'd like to share a, it's quite a famous teaching, but I think it speaks really well about mindfulness. It comes from Ajahn Chah in his book, The Still Forest Pool. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. 
you will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. It portrays something of the power of mindfulness, how mindfulness can let all experiences come and go. Anything, you know, the worst experiences, the things that we try to hide from all the time. Mindfulness can simply see and accept. It's like these animals, you know, all kinds of animals coming to drink in the pool. There's an unshakableness that comes when there's this level of letting be, letting things be known without having to react, change. We find that there, we discover a natural serenity, a natural stillness that isn't thrown about by the appearances in the mind. With mindfulness, there's two ingredients to it. There's an active ingredient, which is the memory to remember, and a passive ingredient, which is the seeing things as they are. The active ingredient tends to be the hardest, uh, just to remember to be mindful. Because we have so many habits of being distracted, lost, identified with what's happening. And so we don't have this presence of mind. So as we sit here, you know, it's quite likely today we spent a lot of time lost in thought. But then there'd be a moment where we remember. And this is where posture can be really helpful. You know, just sitting upright can, you know, it's like you're spacing out, you're lost in some story, and then you feel the posture and you go, oh, right, I'm meditating. And it brings back mindfulness. Or, you know, that's why we use walking without going anywhere. You know, where we're just walking back and forth. It gives that reinforcement to remember to be present. And each time that we do this, we're planting a seed of mindfulness. And this is really what helps mindfulness to occur again in the future. You know, we have many habits of being lost, but every time we recognize that, that's planting a seed of mindfulness. And one of the things that I discovered is if in that moment of recognizing that I've been lost, if I could simply reconnect in present moment experience again, just pick it up, begin again, that it brought about an ease and contentment. But if instead, in that moment of getting lost, I went, oh my God, 20 minutes, you idiot, you know, you're no good at this, you can't do this, and just berated myself, then, you know, I'd be lo- I was lost again. <laughs> and it was painful. 
And, you know, practice became a real drudgery and not fun. So I invite you to really watch that moment where you've been lost and you remember. It takes mindfulness to see that. Be happy. You had a moment of mindfulness. And just continue on. When the mind is joyful, it's much easier to be present. With the second ingredient of mindfulness, the seeing things as they are, it's really important to know we don't have to create this. What the mind needs to be is undistracted. And then the knowing occurs. And this is really easy to see if we look at something like being mindful of hearing. If the mind is undistracted, when there's a sound, it hits the ear door, the knowing occurs. All we're doing is recognizing that. So we don't have to create any experience there. This takes a lot of the pressure off our job. <laughs> you know, it makes it much easier, much lighter. We're, we're really just looking to know what is as it is. And that knowing happens spontaneously when the mind is undistracted. As we practice with mindfulness, the recognition of our present moment experience, we can find that it's helpful to look to a balance in the mind between tranquility and alertness. With tranquility, there's a sense of relaxation, acceptance, the stabilizing of attention. And this is balanced with a mind that is alert, interested, able to discern what is transpiring. If we fall into too much tranquility, you know, maybe you've had a meditation today where you started to get really calm, still. Maybe it only lasted you know, a short period of time, but it might have been a glimmer of it. And so, you know, it's like you're aware of the breath, and it's just receiving, relaxing, and then off we go. Or maybe, you know, you got peaceful at the beginning of a sitting, and then suddenly you hear the bell, and you go, oh my God, what happened? You know, you just were it's not like you were lost in thought, but there wasn't a lot of awareness of what was going on. So we can find that there's, you know, a great peace and tranquility, but there really isn't much wisdom with it. Or 
we might have found that the mind was quite bright, alert, but that just read, led to agitation. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, overly agitated. And, and it led into restlessness and a proliferation of thoughts because there wasn't enough tranquility in the mind to really connect with the experience. So I'd like to speak just a little bit about each of these aspects. And, you know, just to know that this tranquil and alert, it has a significant um, implication in the culture of IMS, because it's really through the tranquil and alert is the Berrytown model. And that was discovered at the time when Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, and probably a few others were down. They were contemplating buying this property. And they were sitting on the Berry Common and, you know, not sure whether to go for it. You know, they were young people, seemed like a huge amount of money to outlay. And then they saw this Berry Town motto, tranquil and alert. It was a sign. <laughs> so, you know, as well as being something that's really helpful to remember in practice, it's been of great significance. <clears throat> so, on the side of tranquility, you know, today we've been using the word relax a lot. This is really helpful in the calming down in the finding a sense of tranquility. You know, if we're tight, tense, you know, practicing really forcefully, it doesn't lead to tranquility. You know, it leads to that agitation. Whereas, you know, if we can just kind of settle back, relax, both body and mind. You know, and so, you know, as we sit to notice, just in our posture, is there a holding? or an ease in the mind? Are we really grasping on to the breath? Or is there a settling back, a sense of receiving? And relaxation is not something we can force. You know, we can't say, okay, now relax and go, you know, it's, it's sometimes when we say relax, there can be, you know, kind of a grosser level that lets go. And that's great. But then we might hit a level of tension. Often in meditation, we discover held patterns of tension in the body. And that's not going to just release. You know, so it's like being able to relax in the face of seeing this rather than compounding it, just allowing it to be there as it is. Some of a, sometimes we might think, you know, relax, okay. Well, if my knee pain goes away, then I can relax. No, 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 no. <laughs> we relax with the knee pain. No, it's, it's, it's great to see as we sit, how when there is pain in the body, there can be such a tendency to tighten around it. You know, and it, it just increases, it feeds that pain, that tightness. Whereas it's like seeing it, 
relax is softening. We can't get rid of it, but can soften in the face of knowing it. It's very helpful. You know, and sometimes I've just found if I remember the word relax, it's like just saying, oh, let be. It's okay. That's really helpful. Something that can be really helpful around this is to check our attitude with which we're practicing. Because sometimes this is a way we create tension and agitation. So if we check our attitude and discover that we're actually practicing to get something, you know, I want to get more concentrated. You know, it's tiring, (laughs) creates tension, it's not helpful. Or if we're practicing to get rid of something, it too creates tension. Or if we're practicing (laughs) oblivion, you know, where we just don't know what's happening, that too is not helpful. So we can check our attitude and see if in the very way that we are practicing, whether we are exacerbating tension, tightness, whether we're planting seeds of greed, aversion, or delusion in how we're actually practicing. Can we practice just to see things as they are in their nature? Can we let be? Relaxation is intrinsically tied to acceptance. If we are going to accept what's here, we often need to let go of our ideas of what should be here. I mean, at the end of the first day of practice, we as I mentioned, often come face to face with expectations. You know, we may not have known that we had an agenda in coming here. But as we sit and we're not getting what we thought we'd get, no, we are not anywhere near peaceful, tranquil. We um, are not happy. You know, we see the mind just flitting off over and over again. And we find, you know, we're, we're dismayed at it. It's because we have some agenda, some idea about how things are. And this, you know, plays into, can we just accept? We see the mind's lost. We see this. We begin again. So to notice if you have a lot of ideas about what should be happening, what the mind should be like, how the body should be, can we let go of these and really just 
look at how things actually are. Some helpful words can be to just observe, watch, be aware, know. These all point to being with what is. And, you know, I've seen in my own practice there can be such a strong tendency to want to see clearer, want to see more precisely. And that just creates a tension in the mind. It creates that grasping, that leaning into. can create the struggle. But just observe. You know, this body, all its different changes. What's helpful with this is a sense of receptivity sense of receiving experience. I don't know if you may have played with it today, but there can be a way where you know we hear instruction to be aware of the breath, and you have a sense of going to the breath. You know, is it you know, kind of like reaching the breath, grasping, you know, take the mind to the belly. Or there can be just a sense of settling back and awareness of the breath. You don't fix the attention in any place, but you just notice where sensations of breath arise. And, you know, it's just sensations being known, not any struggle to have it be in any one place, to do anything with. It's just that sense of receiving. One of the things that's been really helpful to me is to do this kind of with a, with a, within the context or you know, in a similar way to how we listen. You know, if we're listening, there's a sense of receiving, not a going out to, but a settling back. And you know, it's just receiving the experience of this breath. When we really listen to somebody, the mind isn't caught up in ideas of what we're going to say back, how we're going to respond, but we just receive. I'd like to share a poem from a Native American elder that I think really reflects something of this sense of listening. It's called Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. You must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to the raven. 
no two branches are the same to the wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. We stand still within our own experience and be found. Another aspect that strengthens the tranquility is the quality of trust. If we don't trust, we can't relax. Without trust, we're looking for specific results and find that we can't enter into the unknown. And our practice really takes us into the unknown because it's deeper than the level of concepts. We often have habits of trying to make ourselves feel more secure, to get experience to be a certain way so that we have a sense of security. And so it can feel, you know, contrary to that, to just settle back, relax, and trust. But as we do that, as we settle back, we find that what we begin to trust in is the power of awareness. We really begin to see how when awareness is present, there's more spaciousness, there's more ease, contentment. We find that we don't have to hang on so tightly We don't have to be micromanaging our experience all the time. And it comes as a great relief. It can be helpful just to notice as we practice. Is fear present? Are we doing practice based in fear? Or is there some degree of faith, confidence, trust, coming in just the simplicity of turning up moment after moment. So the tranquility being based in relaxation, receptivity, acceptance, and trust. Nothing that we can force, but something that we can learn from when there is tension, when we can't relax. We see the effect of that tension. We don't need to judge it, but we begin to see that being really fearful, being tight, being tense has an effect. 
and that that effect is quite painful. And if we really pay attention to that, we begin to see we don't need to do it. We don't need to have such a strong grasp or hold on life and experience. That actually, if we settle back, we get what we need. We find that what we have is enough. This is where we begin to see that awareness itself purifies through clear seeing. And this starts to take us to the other side, the alertness. In order for the mind to be alert, there needs to be interest. This interest is helpful when we learn anything new. You know, without interest, we just won't pay attention. And so we need to uh, have this interest to really bring about a natural presence of mind that's both connected and invigorated. It really helps with the stabilizing of the mind. Same as, you know, if we're listening to somebody speak and we have a strong interest, the mind stays present. I had this experience one night where I woke up in the middle of the night and I was in a lot of pain. And so my first response was to go on the side of tranquility, to calm the mind, because it was very agitated in the face of this pain. But, you know, there was no stability. The mind kept moving into reactivity. And then, you know, out of interest, it was like, whoa, what's happening here? And as soon as that interest came, the mind stayed really steady moment to moment in being with that experience, and the reactivity subsided. This level of interest that we need in our practice is a non-interfering. It's, you know, not having to get in there and work it all out. But it's more like a turning the light on in the mind. And that turning the light on in the mind is a quality of investigation. And investigation in Buddhist teachings is really the wisdom factor. Because this quality of turning the light on is what helps us to be able to discern what is happening. And it's really important. And that's why we just don't blindly practice with you know, awareness of whatever is, but with a mind that is alert and attentive, that is discerning what is happening. If we look at the experience of being with the breath, you might have had periods today where being aware of the breath, it was really rote, you know, and uh, just a sense of in uh, rising, falling, you know, and it's, it's, it's like there, there's a sense of being somewhat mindful of the experience, which is very different to if you were with the breath as if you had never 
experienced the breath before. You know, the mind didn't have ideas about it, didn't have any agenda, but there was this freshness in the mind. That's like, oh. I mean, it can be quite impactful at times when that freshness is there. And that's not to mean that it's always going to be a big wow experience when it's fresh, but it can be. You know, I've just seen something like the end of a breath can be a moment where it's like the impact of impermanence, the seeing of it. And it's like a seeing a moment of truth. And, you know, it's just like, whoa, as if we've never seen it before. The greatest hindrance to quality of investigation is to think that we know. And I'll speak from my own experience, but there's been so many times where there is some level of thinking that I know that keeps us from touching that freshness. And so really to look and see, are you being with experience, with this freshness, this interest, you know, not coming with a lot of baggage in the mind. We find that if we come with, you know, ideas, even the best ideas, the best teachings we've heard from our teachers, but we use that as an overlay onto experience, we won't come to know for ourselves. And to me, something that has so inspired me about the Buddha's teachings is how he laid out this whole practice as a come and see. No, it's not about believing the words of the Buddha, but it's really about investigating the teachings and looking into this very experience to come to know for ourselves. So we need to do that with the lights on. I'd like to share something from a laywoman who lived in Thailand. Uh, her name was Upasaka Ki, and she has this very beautiful book called Pure and Simple. She was quite an extraordinary woman in that, you know, as a young girl, she had a strong interest in Dharma. Uh, you know, in Thailand, um, Buddhist teachings are very prevalent. And, you know, she wanted to practice. And, you know, she, uh, with some of her relatives, moved out into the country and, you know, just began practicing. And out of that grew this community around her of people who recognized that she was really coming to understand something in her own experience that was of value. And so this is something she says, for the mind to gain genuine understanding, it has to keep investigating your every activity with every breath. It'll then be equal to the task of stopping your preoccupations and your continual continual tendency to fabricate worthless ideas under the force of delusion. When you're not really determined, your practice becomes half-hearted and ends up scattered, 
a waste of valuable time. So look inside yourself and keep on looking until you see clearly. Actually, once you're adept, it's more fun to look inside than out. Outside, there's nothing to see but things passing away, passing away. What's enthralling about that? But the inner eye can penetrate to the clear light within and then to the truth of the Dhamma. Once we see the nature of the passing away of all fabricated things, we'll gain new insight into the nature that doesn't pass away, a nature that can't change but simply is. And this is really the direction of this work that we're doing here. So we use this quality of investigation, interest, to look. Sometimes if the mind is really still, tranquil, we almost have to invite this quality of investigation. And it, it can be very simple. You know, it can be just kind of asking the question, what's this? What's happening? And that with asking of the question, it's the question itself that is important, not the figuring out. Because the question just brightens the mind, turns the mind to the experience. You know, sometimes it could be asking a question. You know, we're sitting. How do I know that I'm sitting? But then you look into the experience. And, you know, it just brings that brightness. I find that, you know, these questions can be really natural when there's an interest in what's happening. And then they help the mind to be steady. But the questions aren't interfering. You know, they're not getting in the way of, but helping the mind to be with experience. On the side of strengthening alertness, we also need energy. In our practice, we find that we can fall prey to a type of energy or effort that has no wisdom that is demanding, forcing, and strained. And this is the effort that is motivated by greed, aversion, or delusion, where we're practicing to get something or to get rid of something. <clears throat> but when we have a healthy sense of effort, it's just an effort that helps us to meet this moment to know truth as it is, without a preference for outcome. It's a courageousness or willingness of heart to not give up in the face of difficulty. I'd like for us just to do a simple exercise together for a moment because it gives us an indicator of really how little effort we need to make. So just as we're sitting here right now, notice how much effort it takes 
to be aware of the body sitting. How much effort does it take to be aware of the sound of my voice? We have our eyes open. How much effort does it take to be aware of seeing? It isn't a lot. No, it's pretty simple. And so, you know, what we'll find is if we start making a really strong effort, <sighs> be aware, <sighs> you know, that is tiring. That is exhausting. And at the end of a day of really being forceful with effort, <sighs> the breath, we're exhausted. You know, so, so a lot of times the tiredness that we experience in practice can come from this over-efforting. You really just want to make the effort that it takes to meet this moment. And of course, that's always changing. You know, in some moments, if we're really sleepy, it takes a little bit. And we might need to uh, support that. You know, just sitting with the eyes open helps to let in light, brightens the mind, brings in wakefulness. Sometimes standing instead of sitting can be really helpful. You know, that, that you know, we're less likely to fall asleep. You know, but um, if we're really heavy-handed with trying to be aware, that will be exhausting. And, you know, sometimes it's just that simple remembering to remember, to notice. Sayadaw Utejaniya, who's been one of my teachers, he's uh, a monk from Burma, he talks about meditation being a lifelong practice rather than a hundred-yard dash. And so, you know, sometimes we come to retreat and it's like we think we're doing a hundred yard dash and, you know, we're going to put in full effort. But we can't sustain that. What we want to really look to is a level of effort or energy that we can sustain in our lives, in our practice. And really, if we can find that ease in effort, we will find that energy builds, that it's not draining, that you know, just to simply be here and recognize what's happening in our experience. And you know, sitting here right now, there's so many experiences. Just the recognition of that, there comes an ease and energy replenishes because we're not fighting. So see how simple you can let effort be. What does it take to know your experience?
so on the level of alertness, interest, investigation, effort. These are all energizing qualities to the mind. But with all of this, we don't do this to be a good meditator, to get it right. We do this because this is help. what helps us wake up, to be really vitally alive, to be witnessing this dynamic process that is transpiring moment to moment, to really see the truth of who we are, to dispel the delusion that we are so often lost in. And if we do this, we find that the interest becomes very joyful. You know, we're really walking the path of waking up. And yeah, we, get, we fall asleep over and over again. But each time we wake up, there can be that joy in walking this path, a lightness of heart. We can let our investigation be playful. You know, having a rueful amusement with this body and mind. It's amazing what's happening. And you know, we often take it so for granted. I remember once teaching uh, a group of beginners and teaching walking meditation. Um, and it was, it was about a half-day program. And at the end of this program, there was this woman And she got up to leave, and she just stopped, and she said, Do you know, I've never been aware of walking before. You know, and she was in her 30s, probably. And just the simplicity, the joy that come from knowing this moment as it is. I'd like to close tonight with a story that comes from one of Pema Chodron's books, um, Comfortable with Uncertainty. And this story is called Nowness. There was once a lady who was arrogant and proud. She was determined to attain enlightenment, and she asked all the authorities how to go about it. She was told, well, if you climb to the top of this very high mountain, you'll find a cave there. And sitting inside that cave is a wise woman, and she will tell you. So having endured great hardships, the lady finally found this cave. And sure enough, sitting there was a gentle, spiritual-looking old woman in white clothing who smiled beautifully. Overcome with awe and respect, the lady prostrated at the foot of this woman, or at the feet of this woman, and said, I want to attain enlightenment. Show me how. And the wise woman looked at her and asked sweetly, Are you sure you want to attain enlightenment? And the woman said, Of course I'm sure. Whereupon the smiling woman turned into a demon, stood up, brandishing a great big stick, 
and started chasing her, saying, No, no, no! And for the rest of her life, that lady could never get away from the demon who was always saying, Now. Pema Chodron went on to say, Now, that's the key. Mindfulness trains us to be awake and alive, fully curious about now. The out-breath is now. The in-breath is now. Waking up from our fantasies is now. And even the fantasies are now. The more you can be completely now, the more you realize that you're always standing in the middle of a sacred circle. It's no small affair whether you're brushing your teeth or cooling your food or wiping your bottom. Whatever you are doing, you're doing it now. So may we abide in this now as it is, leading us to the greatest peace, the peace of understanding. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.